Father, we do uh, thank you for this time, Lord. We do lift up this time as we look at uh, uh, just Peter encouraging the church. And God, I pray that it would be just an encouragement in our hearts and move in us in a, in a great way, Lord. And as we look at this, once again, not just thinking about what was going on then, but we would think about our lives, so we'd think about our relationship with you. And God, how you can change things, no matter what we're going through, Lord, you can give us that different perspective and work in us. So Lord, we do want to hear you. And we do want to listen when and then, God, we want to go out and we want to do. So bless this time, and we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, I think this little section here in Second Peter is a great section on church growth. Now listen, I know there's a lot of information out there. You can buy a lot of books. You can get a lot of different things on church growth. But Peter has a whole different idea about church growth than the church growth experts. And uh, I think, listen, I think it's a model we should try and follow and look at in our own lives. I believe, I believe if we are faithful to the word of God, that number one, we will grow spiritually. Number two, the church will grow. And that's what we need to do. So Peter's just like making it real simple because Peter was a simple guy. You know, I believe, listen, I believe he, in, in his letters, we get kind of that simplicity, but also we get, you know, just a straightforwardness. But in Peter of all people, pay attention even tonight, how many times he uses the word precious? Like you don't think of a big old burly fisherman going, oh, that's precious. Right? I mean, it's just like, every time I read it, I think, that's a little weird. Maybe in the Greek it comes across different. Do you know what I'm saying? Maybe, maybe it's a little bit better, but, you know, just usually you don't think of that. So Peter now, again, addressing them. He's been talking to us about our salvation. And now as he begins in this church growth thing, listen, this is all about, and I think it's important, it's about, listen, we grow physically, we grow organically, Right? We take care of our bodies, we do things from the time we're little and we grow. I think spiritually it should be the same. I've been accused by people of being too organic. They tell me I need to be more intentional. And that word's kind of going away. For a while it was a big buzzword and you know, and like early on in, in uh, uh, like from like 2015 to 2020, all the people were talking about, as a ministry you need to be intentional. And people would hassle me, they'd go, you don't, you don't know that word, do you? And I go, no, I'm just like an organic. And I said, but I am intentionally organic, so maybe that helps, right? But listen, Peter's gonna say, it's an organic thing that happens. We're not gonna go, listen, as we go through this, it's not gonna be stage one, stage two. If you do this step, then you do this step, then you do this step, you become mature. It's like, if you do this one thing, fall in love with Jesus, and fall in love with his word, you will grow spiritually. So, as he starts here, he says, therefore, right? And he's been talking about being born again in verse one. Therefore, laying aside all malice, all deceit, all hypocrisy, envy, and all evil speaking, as newborn babes desire the pure milk of the word that you may grow thereby, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is gracious. Man, listen, there's a lot there. Now, here's what I, 
Verse three, I think, is important for us to understand. Verse three, here's who he's talking to, the church, right? If you've tasted that the Lord is gracious, and I believe, listen, I believe as we get a taste, it causes in us a desire for more. So here's what he's saying. If you're born again, these things should take place. And I, I love the idea. So he starts out, listen, some things we need to do and we need to get rid of. And then he talks about another thing we need to really begin to put into practice. So he tells us, you know, there's several things here, four, four things we need to get rid of. So first of all, we need to lay aside all malice. Now, I don't think, listen, I don't think that's a real hard one to figure out, right? Malice is just mean people or just being mean, being ill-willed towards others, right? When you think about that. And I don't think that's a hard one to lay aside. I think if you're, if you're born again, it's hard to like wish ill on other people and, and, uh, and that they wouldn't do well. But then the others are kind of things that kind of creep in on us. And he says, listen, all malice, all deceit. Deceit is acting like something you're not. And that's gonna carry over into the hypocrisy, but listen, if you're deceitful, you're like pretending to people that you're doing something and you're deceiving them. You're not being honest. And then there's hypocrisy. And I think that just like flows out of deceitfulness, right? There was a survey done and most people say they don't go to church because the church has hypocrites. Wow. And that is true to an extent, right? It is true. I remember, it's funny, uh, sometimes I hate to say things I used to do before I was saved. And we're not gonna go into everything, but. One time my daughter, we were driving, living in Bisbee, we were driving down Tombstone Canyon, if you know the main street there. We're driving down and, and, we're, and she goes, and you know, our daughter always had this desire for church and for God. I don't know where it came from because her parents sure didn't, or at least her dad. I shouldn't speak for her mom. And she says, so we're driving along. She goes, Daddy, where's our church? And I go, we don't have one. Come on. She gets all teary-eyed, crocodile tears. We got to have a church. Where's our church? Well, Gaynelle and I were married in a Catholic church in, in Bisbee in St. Patrick's. Very appropriate. So anyway, so we were married. And so she finally, Daddy, I want a church. And I go, okay, there's our church right there. And she goes, really? And I said, but we never want to go in there, ever, ever do we. This is your pastor. So we don't want to go in there. And she says, why? And I said, because it's full of hypocrites. And sad to say, we all can have some hypocrisy, can't we? And Peter's saying we need to lay that aside. We need to get rid of that. We need to think about that and put that down. And then, listen, and then hypocrisy and then envy. And envy is kind of, to me, greater than jealousy. Jealousy is, is like wanting a or, or having a possession and guarding it. But envy is wanting to take something away from somebody or 
not wanting that person to have it just because you don't want them to have whatever it is. And he says, man, you've got to get rid of that. And I think envy is a very ugly thing. And then the last thing is all evil speaking or slander. Now that one should, listen, we should not do that, right? But I catch myself doing it. Why do I do that? Why am I doing that? So here's what he's saying. I think we need to be conscious of those things. And I think a, a dangerous thing is to say, that's not in my life at all. We need to be people who we can recognize that and say, you know what, I'm not gonna let that interfere with my growth in Jesus. Now, listen, I think we need to work on those things before we do verse two because I think if those things are active in our life, we're not gonna do verse two. So verse two says, I love verse two. He says, as newborn babes desire the pure milk of the word, or spiritual milk, some translations say, that you may grow thereby. So listen, I wanna clarify a couple things. He's not talking about that they're, they're babes in the sense of, in Corinthians and Hebrews, he talks about being babes in Christ. He's not talking about that. Here's what he's saying. All of us, all of us need to be like infants. When infants are hungry, everybody knows it, don't they? And they're going for it and they're letting everybody know and they crave, listen, they crave and you are going to feed them, right? And he says, do you have that kind of intensity going after the word of God? Now I know in the, in the New King James it says, it says the milk of the pure milk of the word. And once again, he's not talking about, you know, he's not talking about Bible light He's talking about having a desire for the pure word of God. Do we have that? Or would we rather be entertained by somebody? Or would we rather read books about it? Or, you know, et cetera, et cetera. And listen, all of that can be good. But do you have that intensity for God's word like an infant has for milk or for being, you know, for formula, whatever, that they have that intensity? And, and Peter's saying, that should be our lives. And we should be people that, hey, we should know something. If that's not my life, then I need to pray that that would happen. That's something you can't work up. You can fake it, and then if you're faking it, that's called hypocrisy, right? But listen, man, we need to have that. And, and he, says, Here's, he says, that is gonna cause you to grow. And then, again, he says, if you've tasted that the Lord is gracious. Have you tasted that the Lord is gracious? then you should desire that spiritual food that he has. Over the weekend, we talked about, you know, eating good food versus bad food, poisoned food, etc. We We wanna grow, we wanna eat nourishing things physically. We should do the same spiritually. And so that's what he's talking about here. We should have that, just that intensity and not let things get in the way. And again, I think we live in a generation where it's so easy to get distracted from the pure word. Why? Because we got so much, and if you're like me, I, I have a really hard time concentrating. Sometimes I joke about having ADD, but I shouldn't make fun of it, but you know, I'm not, I'm not a focused guy. I, I struggle with that, and, and it's hard for me. I don't know if I have you know, some kind of genetic thing, but I know, man, if I don't, if I don't shut my door, lock myself away, and put everything away, even, even on my desk. If I'm, I usually read on my iPad. If I'm studying on my iPad, on my computer, so right here I go, 
huh, wonder what's, wonder what's on the news. And I'm over there doing that. And then, you know, two and a half hours later, and, and so I go, Lord, I wanna have that intensity for your word. Don't let me get distracted so easy and start going after other things. So that's what, listen, Peter's, Peter's foundation of growing is falling in love with the Lord, falling in love with his word. Now he's going to describe to us again that how we should look at and how we should understand who we are as believers. Who are we as the church? We, we throw around a term, we're the church, right? We're the body of Christ. But listen, man, we need, to, we need to understand that in more depth so that we can actually be what God has called us to be. So here's what he says. Verse four, if we start doing those other things, coming to him. So here's what he's saying. When we do those things, you grow closer to the Lord and you get, get more in tune with him. So he says, coming to him as to a living stone rejected indeed by men, but chosen by God and precious. Now, I think we all know he's talking about Jesus, right? So we lay aside things, we crave the word of God, we start intensity, intensely seeking the word of God, and then we come to him. And I like the idea, listen, and, and yet in my mind I have a hard time. He calls him a living stone. It's funny, I was, I was reading somebody this week and they were talking about a living stone and they said, man, I studied like zoology and I studied biology and stuff, but we never talked about living stones. And, and I thought that was kind of interesting that he kind of got off on that. But we know what he's talking about. He's talking about the rock, right? Jesus is referred to as the rock who gave water. And we're gonna see in a moment that cornerstone. So he says, listen, we come to him and here's what I think he's, he's talking about. Hebrews says what? He's the anchor of our soul. And so we come to him, that living stone, that something solid, something we can depend on. Jesus does not change. He's the same today, yesterday, and he'll be the same tomorrow. I believe that's what Peter is getting us to think about. But then he takes it a little bit further. Not only is he a living stone and, and precious and chosen by God, and we've talked about that before. He says, verse five, you also as living stones are being built into a spiritual house. So listen, listen to what he calls us. Listen to all these metaphors he uses. First, he says, hey, we're living stones. We're all those living stones but we're being built into this house. How great that is. Do you, know, do you know that God is taking us and building something phenomenal with us? And I like to look at it this way. You know, sometimes somebody gets involved in your life and they're not real fun. Nobody in this building. <laughs> but you know they're not fun and they kind of rub against you and you kind of go, man, they're rubbing against me. And when, when I get that way, I hear Jesus saying, yeah, you just need that one part chiseled off there, and I brought them into your life so you can fit as a living stone where I want you. And I'm thinking, well, maybe I'm chiseling them. And he goes, no. <laughs> no, they're chiseling you. We're living, we're being built together. And I believe, listen, as the body of Christ, if we would look at that more often and start to understand God is building something through us and using us, something incredible for this world and this generation, 
man, we would look at each other so differently because here's what I understand what he's saying. Each stone is important. And we're all being fitted in. We're all being put in there. And he says, not only are we living stones, then in verse five he also says, hey, we're a holy priesthood. That kind of sounds good too, doesn't it? Now you may have a connotation of the priesthood, especially if you were raised, I was raised in an Orthodox church, if you're raised in a Catholic church, you kind of have that idea of, and, and you look at that, and that's not what he's talking about, not those people. He's talking about that, that priesthood that represented him to the people in that generation. And more importantly though, they took the offerings to God. We're a royal priesthood. Or here he says holy on my head. So we're a holy priesthood. And listen, when we get together and we quote sing, we're bringing that offering up to God as priests. And he's using us and we're, we're bringing that to him and hopefully it's a sweet smelling aroma. Hopefully our hearts are in the right place. We're understanding that I am a priest bringing an offering to God. I'm not just singing, praise God for me, because I can't sing. I'm not just singing songs, I'm bringing an offering. So he says, listen man, you are living stones, being built into a house, a holy priesthood, holy kind of means separated. Are, are you getting the idea that God almost looks at us like we're different? We're not part of where we belong. Oh, and then, and then Peter, Peter goes a little bit further, listen, and he says, a holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God, there he finally tells us, through Jesus Christ. So that's what it's all about. Church growth is all about coming before the Lord, honoring him and lifting him up and coming through him into that throne room, and then he begins some scripture. Listen, he's thinking about that that uh, that rock, that living stone. Therefore, verse six, it is also contained in the scripture, behold, I lay in Zion a chief cornerstone, elect precious, and he who believes on him will by no means be put to shame or disappointed. So here he starts quoting, and he quotes, listen, he quotes Isaiah 28, we're gonna see, he quotes Psalm 18, or 118, and Isaiah eight. First he quotes Isaiah 28, and he says, Behold, I lay in Zion a chief cornerstone. I think most of us understand a cornerstone is a stone that everything is built off of, more than likely. It's the one you lay and you get that one right and then everything else goes okay, right? But I also know that at times it can be called the capstone, which is the one you put in right at the end to hold everything together. I think it's a little bit of both. Listen, I think he's that cornerstone that everything comes off of, but then I think he's also the, the stone. When I, when I was doing pottery, I would build a kiln that was one solid arch. It was called a cantonary arch. And you would build this arch on a form, and then you would put in the cap stones, the cap bricks, and pull that, pull that form out, and the, and the arch would go like this, and lock on itself, and it was self-sustaining. 
It was always scary to pull the form out, but you did that. But listen, I think that idea, Jesus holds us together, right? He keeps us in that place, but we also, everything comes off of him. So he says, listen, he says, according to Isaiah, he's the one in Zion. God does that, and he says, listen, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. Therefore, verse seven, to you who believe, he is precious, but those who are disobedient, the stone which the builders rejected, Psalm 118, has become the chief cornerstone. And there's a lot of, listen, there's a lot of speculation about where that psalm came from. There's the story that they sent, you, you know when they built a temple, they didn't quarry, I'm not talking about Herod's temple, I'm talking about the original temple. When they built it, they didn't quarry the stones there. God said they shouldn't hear a hammer. So they would quarry the stones someplace else and bring them to the temple. And there's a story that there was one stone that they just threw in the weeds. This one's no good. And they got to the end and they go, where's the last stone? And the guys in the quarry said, we sent them all up. We should have them all. We don't have that one. And they went and found it and it fit perfectly. So there, there's, and, and some say that's where Psalm 118 came from. I'm not so sure. You know, we, we don't know factually if that's true. But here's the thing. Jesus is the one who they rejected, isn't he? And yet he is the one who became the chief cornerstone. He's the one who's the solid cornerstone, the foundation of our faith. And then, so he says, listen, he became the chief cornerstone and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense, Isaiah 8. So again, bringing all that together to understand there are those who are gonna believe in Jesus and there are those who are not gonna believe in Jesus. And those who don't believe in Jesus, that's on them and they have to deal with it. And then he says, listen, they stumble in, at the end of verse eight, being disobedient to the word to which they were also appointed. Now, I don't think they were appointed to be disobedient. I think once they were disobedient, they were appointed to stumble. It's kind of like this. If you turn all the lights off and start walking, that's on you, right? You are, at that point, appointed to walk into something or stumble or trip over something. You get up in the middle of the night, you don't have a flashlight, you trip over something and, and as, you, as you start walking. And so he says, listen, those who reject Jesus, they're at that place where, listen, they're being, their disobedience is because they rejected Jesus Christ. You can't have it both ways. Now he goes a little bit and does a contrast but you are a chosen generation. Don't you, I just love to read, listen, I love to read the things that talks about who I am to God. I've talked about before, some people get uptight about being chosen. I liked being chosen. If you were that guy on the playground that never got picked for anything, you were the person where they go, okay, I'll take them. That stunk. I got chosen by God. Listen, Jesus didn't look at me and go, all right. No one else wants him, I'll take him. I'll, I'll figure something to do with him. And so whenever I read, listen, whenever I read, he says, but you, and I, I always take it personal, you are a chosen race or a chosen generation. I love that idea. That's me. God chose me. God has a purpose for me. He's got a plan for my life. 
And listen, man, I want to fall into that plan. I want to understand that plan. And I want to be in the middle of that plan. So listen, not only, not only are we, uh, and again, I like the idea of generation. Some translations say race. But listen, you're a chosen generation, a royal priesthood. Oh, listen, we went from a holy priesthood to a royal priesthood. Do you understand why that's important biblically? You couldn't have a king and a priest from the same line. Didn't work in the Old Testament. You're either in the kingly line if you were in that line, and you weren't gonna be in the priestly line. If you're in the priestly line, you weren't gonna be in the king in the, in the royal line. And here's what he did. Jesus did this amazing thing, and now we're royal priesthood. We're not just holy, separated unto God. We're also royal. And listen, he's made us that way. Do you remember in Hebrews, if you were here when we studied Hebrews, Jesus was both, both king and priest, which again, does not make sense as far as Old Testament and, and their theology goes. It just doesn't work unless he wasn't part of the Aaron priesthood. Remember what Hebrews said? He's part of Melchizedek. And we're part of that same same lineage. We're part of the Melchizedek, the royal priesthood, which makes us different. Listen, and once again, not just those uh, ideas that we may have, but we're part of that. And then he says, listen, you're a royal priesthood, a holy nation. Does that sound good? No, we're holy. Listen, we're different. We're not like the world. Oh, and then he goes a little bit further, and what does he say? He says it there in verse 9. He says, you're a holy nation, his own special people. Woo. That you may proclaim the praise of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Yes, yes. You start believing those things and understanding those things, Guess what's going to happen? You're going to grow spiritually. And you're going to be a different person. Listen, if you start going around, and I'm not suggesting you go around and say this real loud around people, but if you go around saying, I'm part of a holy priesthood. Hmm. You know what? I'm special. I'm, I'm part of a royal priesthood not just a holy i'm part of a royal priesthood and i'm special the bible tells me listen i'm a special people and when you start doing that listen then you start proclaiming the praise of him because you understand something god called you out of darkness into his glorious light we were in darkness i always like to tell people especially here where we're at Take the mind tour sometime and go on a mind tour. It's a little bit different, but you go on a mind tour, you get back in that tunnel and you get far enough back there and they turn all the lights off. You understand darkness. I worked underground. I worked 3,200 feet underground. When you turn the lights off, guess what, man? There wasn't even a glimmer of light. So I get, listen, I get that stark, stark darkness, but here's what I know. The minute I turn my light on, the darkness is gone. Have you ever noticed you turn a light on, it doesn't like fade unless you got a special one, but right? You turn the light on, boom, darkness flees. Yes, and God called you and I. He called us out of darkness into his light. Shouldn't we walk in that? 
Why would we want to go back to being malice people and, and hypocrites and envy? Why don't we walk in the light? He says, and you proclaim that to the world and you let the world know. And then, once again, verse 10, who were once not a people, but now the people of God. You know, I, I think that's one of the things that blesses me the most. There was time where I wasn't a people. But now I'm a people of God. Some of us are loners. But now you're part of the people of God. You're part of a family, part of something bigger. And I love the idea, listen, man, we have this identity, and we shouldn't, listen, I, I, I believe it's strong. We should, we should understand maybe where we came from, but our main identity is I'm part of the family of God. I'm part of the people of God. That's my heritage now. That's who I am. That's my genetic makeup, right? And he says, now you're a people of God who had not obtained mercy but now have obtained mercy. Yes! Peter says, do you get the idea that Peter really got saved? Listen, some of us, some of us, maybe we didn't get saved from a bad life. Maybe we've always been like kind of good people. I'm not suggesting you go out and do horrible things, but you know, when you, when you come out of darkness into light, you're just so grateful. When you understand you walked without any mercy of God and all of us did that and you came to his mercy, you're grateful. And you change and he says, that's who you are. Man, Peter, listen, Peter's like so in tune with this and then, and then he says, verse 11, beloved. Oh, now he's calling us beloved. I beg you as sojourners. Listen to what, listen to what he's saying. Peter's begging. Peter's saying, come on, guys. Think about who you are. Let's remember. And then he says, listen. He says, he says I beg you as sojourners and pilgrims or aliens. Listen, you and I, we're not part of this world. And we need to get a hold of that in our hearts. And that's a hard, hard thing to do. And I'm not just talking about materialism. I'm talking about world values, core values that we have that as a church of Jesus Christ in 2022, we're allowing the world values to creep in and change how we think. And here's what Peter says, I beg you as strangers, as aliens, remember who you are in this world and quit embracing the ideas of the world and the thoughts of the world and start living like believers, like those who have been called out of darkness into the light and proclaiming how great his mercy is. So he says, listen, he says, I beg you, I beg you to abstain from fleshly lusts which war against the soul. Now listen, I don't think, you know, here, a lot of people here just go into sexual sin and obviously he, there's that is entailed, but there's more than that. There, we can lust after anything. But I think one of the biggest issues of the church of Jesus Christ in this decade is warring against letting the world dictate what we believe and who we are. And we need to be careful. So listen, he says, he says, I want you to abstain. Do you know what abstain means? Hopefully we do. That means stay away from. Get out. Don't do it, right? Don't do the things 
because they war against the soul. And then wrapping this up, listen, verse 12, having your conduct honorable among the Gentiles. I love, listen, I love what he's talking about here. Some of your translations might say live good. Good is a relative term, right? And we live in a relativistic uh, world, right? So I love the idea that in the New King James it says, having your conduct honorable among the Gentiles. When Peter's talking about Gentiles, he's not talking about Gentile Gentiles. He's talking about unbelievers. Shouldn't we live lives that are honorable to unbelievers? We're representing the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Shouldn't our lives demonstrate to the world how great our God is? We need to be careful, saints. You know, on the, on the flip side, I'm telling us, don't embrace the thoughts of the world and, and things of the world, but then also, don't be a jerk for Jesus. Just don't do that. Be somebody that you live honorable to the world. That the world, listen, I think again, another, another problem with people not wanting to get involved in the church. It's the people who get all self-righteous and get up in people's faces. Let's be people we live honorably. That we're people that when, when they look at us, they go, I wanna be like that. I wanna live like that. People in the world, that we would live such honorable lives and that would be an example to them. That's what he's talking about. And he says, listen, we need to do that to the Gentiles. He says that, now listen, that when they speak against you as evildoers, here's what he's saying. They're gonna talk against you. Do you know the world's gonna make fun of you as a Christian? You know the world's gonna mock you. The world's gonna talk against you. The world's gonna tell you how naive you are, how simple you are. Really, you believe that stuff. You believe that simple stuff. And then they act all intelligent. And listen, don't worry about it. Who cares what they, live in such a way that when they do that, they're gonna get busted by themselves, not with you busting them. They're gonna, oh. I think Billy Graham was one of those people who lived in such a way that even the people of the world respected him and looked at him. That's important, right? That's what, that's what Peter's talking about. I'll never forget, for Y2K, some of you remember that? Hard to believe that was 22 years ago, huh? Man, you guys are getting old. All the uproar going on, and I remember I was watching, you know, you had to watch the news. And, you know, one thing I did personally is I watched what was going on in Australia because they're about 24 hours ahead. So I thought if Australia falls apart, I'm going to get ready, right? I'm going to get everything ready. So anyway, they made it through. But I remember watching Larry King, and I never watched Larry King. But Billy Graham was on there. And he's asking Billy Graham, what do you think will be the problem for the next millennium? And I love Billy Graham. He, you know, I, I would do the Southern thing, but I don't do it well. And he says, you know what the problem for the next generation is? The heart. It's the issue of the heart. And so then he says, so what do we do to fix that? And Billy Graham told, told Larry King, you know what we do, you've heard me say it before. And I'll never forget this statement. 
Larry King says, I know, but I just like to hear you say it. Mm. You see, that's somebody who lived an upright life even before the world. That didn't believe what he believed, probably didn't even like what he believed, but he lived such an honorable life, they had to do it. Shouldn't we all do that? Shouldn't that be who we are? And so listen, listen, he says, he says so we do that, and he says, so uh, that they, they speak against you as evildoers, that they may, by your good works, which they observe, glorify God in the day of visitation. Listen, man, we should live such a way that when they're visited by God, perhaps they would glorify God. We don't know what happens in people's lives. We share with people. We know they hear the gospel, different things, and maybe we don't see a conversion in their life, but we don't know what happens on that day of visitation. I don't think Peter's talking about when Jesus comes back here. I think he's talking about that personal visitation that all of us will have one way or another. You know you're gonna see Jesus. You're either gonna die and see him or you're gonna get raptured. You're gonna see Jesus. And he says, man, there's that day. But shouldn't we live in such a way that those people, they would glorify God? At least, listen, at the very least, that they wouldn't be speaking evil about us and talking about what dweebs we are. But they would understand. I want to live a life that makes people hungry after God. I wish I could tell you I do that all the time. But then I would be that guy in the first verse, that hypocrite. I would love to say, man, I live in such a way everybody around me just hungers after God. That's not true. I want to be that. And I think we should all strive for that. Nothing breaks my heart more than when, especially somebody who's in a public ministry, falls and blows it morally. I know we're all susceptible and I pray for them, but man, let's not do that. Let's be people. I say it all the time. Do you know, look at, look at around this room. A lot of people in here. We could change this county. Amen. One heart at a time. And then when we're done with the county, we could go out into the state. Then when we're done with the state, we could like, and go out into the, into the nation and then the whole world. Let's do it. Let's be people who we leave that fragrance we talked about, that fragrance of Christ behind. Let's stand up and pray. Father, I thank you. Lord, I thank you for the challenge that we have here from, from this guy, Peter. And Lord, I do pray. I pray that, Lord, we would be people who God, we have that, just that desire for you and, and that heart for you. Lord, that we would honor you with what we say and with what we do. And God, as we get ready to come to your table, let it be a time for us where we enjoy that fellowship with you, where our hearts are joined with your heart and we celebrate what you've done for us. God, have your way in all of our lives. Be glorified in this time, and we pray these things in Jesus' name.
Amen.